Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kim Marcellus, Senior Editor of McKnight's Long-Term Care News. Today, I'm here with Nate Shima, President and CEO of Good Samaritan Society, which celebrated its 100th anniversary in October. Live on the expo floor of the ACA and Cal Convention here in Nashville, where there's been an optimistic tone about skilled nursing recovery, despite broad concerns here and around the country about staffing. Nate, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kim. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So we're going to talk a little bit about Good Sam's path forward for the next few years. Even if none of us really knows what the next hundred will hold, we can kind of guess what, what the next two to five might hold. So let's start with staffing. Uh, I know Good Sam has faced its share of shortages, and you've made some tough decisions to close a few skilled buildings in 2022. What are some ways you're trying to maintain access and get those employees in the door, um, really focusing on recruitment and hiring and how you might be shifting what you do there? Absolutely. You know, I think as we've look back over 100 years, you know, you don't get here overnight, and certainly the way we deliver care looks a lot different today than it did uh, when our founder, Dad Hager, first started. You know, one of the things we're trying to do and what, what I'm really focused on is how do we continue to build build upon the culture, the faith-based mission that has made our organization, organization so special. And I think what makes us a little bit different at Good Sam is, you know, we're one big family, and I'm constantly trying to work with our, our teams to say, you know, what are those opportunities? Opportunities. How do we continue to grow? How do we identify leaders early on, whether they're caregivers, whether they're aspiring young leaders directly out of college, or maybe they've been with us for 20 years, and how do we tap into that experience? So we've really focused on developing an administrator council. We've always had a long-standing history of this administrator and training program, but we just launched this new director of nursing uh, leadership program because we want to continue to expand that pipeline and prepare nurses in a whole new way. And so that's something that we just launched here in the last couple months. And then lastly, it's how do we continue to build that pipeline on the CNA front, on those frontline caregivers, because you know we need literally thousands of workers right now. We have over 2,000 openings at Good Sam, and if we're going to continue to further our mission, we're going to need those caregivers um, moving forward. So one thing I'm curious about, when you're in so many states, those 2,000, I believe you have a centralized hiring system for applications, but our ideas about recruitment, are those dealt with at the local level so there can be some creativity in the different markets? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think we're always trying to uh, encourage our leaders to uh, have fun, roll out that red carpet, and that red carpet might look a little different in Florida uh, versus Iowa. Um, you know, there's still a lot of these small communities that we serve in. Um, might be a thousand people where the best place to connect with folks is through that local paper. It might only run once a week now, uh, but, but that's what every, everybody looks at it. Or, you know, our, our, our folks will say, uh, our readers might not be that prime uh, workforce category in the 20 to 25 year olds, but oftentimes their their parents or their loved ones will be reading and, and point out, hey, we got a job over at Good Sam, or we have a part-time cook opportunity. And so we're always looking for different ways that we can connect with the right folks to get people in our door that care about our seniors and want to ensure that we have vibrant healthcare communities close to home. So, you know, one of the things I imagine might be more challenging recruitment-wise is as a religious organization, a nonprofit, um, probably 50 years ago, it was really easy to recruit. Everybody went to similar churches in a community. You asked your friends that you had through church, um, and people were called to that work. And I think many people will still say they are called to that, but it's harder to just say the church is the core in my community and I can really tap into those givers there. Um, so I, I think there's probably 
that's something you probably had to do a lot generationally to transform where you find people. We're constantly looking for people that have a heart for this work. Um, in all of our communities, we constantly say uh, we're one big family and we're here to serve. And, you know, that looks a little different, different today than it once did. Um, it's interesting traveling around all these small communities, both in the Midwest and, and outstate and some of our other larger communities. What is the identity looks a little bit different, but what I'm constantly um, reassured by is this vibrancy, this faith that's being lived out in all of our communities, and I think that truly is a differentiator for us. And so, while uh, while that faith community might not be what it was 100 years ago, I think it's it's being lived out in a different way today. And, and how do you talk about mission today to make sure that people understand what really happens in your buildings? You know, I, I, for me, I think it comes down to three things. It's faith, family, and tradition. And, you know, do we have, uh, you know, a culture of faith in all of our locations? This, this uh, always optimistic view that um, we're here to serve, uh, you know, family. It, it truly has to be uh, this um, calling for our individuals, for our leaders, and how they continue to bring that mission alive each and every day. This work is super hard, right? I mean, it's 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 not for the faint of heart. And I'm often I often tell people there's easier things out there that they can do, um, but it's incredibly rewarding. And then I think tradition. I mean, we've been doing this for as long or longer than anybody else in the industry, and we're really really proud of the thousands upon thousands of people that we've served. But how do we continue to build upon that tradition? And what I constantly see as I'm visiting Good Samaritan locations is now the second, third, and even fourth generation family members that grew up in the nursing home or, or tell you stories around, well, yeah, my mom was here, she was the activities director, and it was never a question about what I was going to do. I started in dietary, then I moved on to be a CNA and eventually became a nurse. So uh, those are the stories that continue to, to give me hope that we're going to be around for a long, long time. The mission as well, alive and well. Here's an important question, you know, in terms of longevity and, and being able to be, um, not just survive, but to thrive in the next couple of years. So what are some policy decisions you'd really like to see made uh, to support the industry? You know, I think number one is we have to get, we need to expand those uh, floodgates around immigration. You know, I know it's a, a hot button issue on both sides of the aisle for a variety of reasons. Um, we struggled to get anything across the finish line, but I just came out of a session here a little while ago with Ron Hetrick, and he was talking about uh, the demographics and the, the, the shift in population we're experiencing across the United States. And I think it's pretty sobering today when you see that we have nearly 10 million job openings, and you know many of those are for uh, unskilled labor positions, hospitality, and certainly healthcare. So for us to even get to a sustainable level, we need we need an additional three to five million uh, folks to. To be coming to our country every single year and over the last couple years obviously with the pandemic things have really shut down the government doesn't have enough workers to, to build upon this pipeline so I think from a policy standpoint number one we need more people because the, the demographics clearly show we're not having enough kids in the United States and in many countries but the numbers don't work out so something's got to change uh, for us to, to, to continue to draw people into this industry and so we can provide service and care to all of our our, our most precious uh, grandparents and, and loved ones. That makes sense. Um, and in terms of staffing mandate, um, in terms of concerns about that, uh, what kind of policy kind of guardrails would you like to see there? Absolutely. You know, I think as an organization that has both urban and rural locations, the thing that keeps me up at night is uh, the idea that there might be 
one kind of one or some kind of one size fits all approach. Um, I'm been to many of our small communities where we have team members wearing three, four, five hats, and it looks very different than it does in a rural or a urban community in Minneapolis or in Albuquerque. And so it's important that we just don't layer on a policy or without any types of waivers in place to ensure that we can provide top quality care in these rural communities. You know, and I think it always comes back to this, you know. Where as a country are we comfortable in drawing that line in the sand when it comes to obtaining high quality access to care close to home? Are we willing to drive 20, 40, 50 miles? Are we okay with that? So, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's making sure that we have the right waivers in place because the people just aren't there if we're going to put together a really comprehensive um, CMS uh, minimum staffing mandate. All right, so let's go back to what you're doing and focus a little bit on investments, uh, particularly either in technology or uh, linking folks across the continuum of care. How do you get better at that in the next couple of years? You know, I think the advantage we have um, as an integrated health system with Sanford Health, our acute care partner, um, we have access to nearly 1,500 physicians across the, the entire care spectrum. They're a part of our family. So on any given day, I feel like I've got um, some of the best doctors in the world at my fingertips. And so I think that is an inherent um, differentiator for us as an integrated health system. I think the other cool things that we're able to do and we are doing right now is how do we build um, all of our systems so they talk to each other, that interoperability so they can enter the hospital system and transfer seamlessly over to the post-acute center and one of our, uh, whether it's in home health, whether that's in an assisted living, so sharing that information seamlessly and in real time at any point in time during the day. I think the other the other thing that we are focused on right now is, um, as you know, we, we received a $350 million grant to build out our virtual hospital, our virtual care center. And while that program is just getting off the ground, I think it's a, it's a game changer for us. Um, it allows us to build upon what we do best in rural America. I think it allows us a space to innovate. You know, I recently heard uh, Jim Weinstein from Microsoft talk and he was sharing how, you know, I really think you're gonna see some of the greatest innovation come from rural providers. And I think at first we all st stepped back and said, are we hearing him right? And you know, the more he explained himself, he's like, well, look, if you all can figure this out with the, the factors and all the other different elements that you have working against you, the, uh, you know, the lack of workforce, uh, the windshield time, and, you know, just the lack of density, you're going to be able to scale this unlike many organizations. So I thought that was a very interesting perspective, and it gives me uh, a lot of optimism about what we're doing on the virtual care front and uh, some of the cool innovations you're going to see come from that strategy. Well, keep us posted. I'm excited to hear about that, too. Thanks so much for sharing some insights about Thank how you Appreciate it. For McKnight's, this is Kim Marcellus. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit mcknights.com.